Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series uh, called Nehemiah, A Time to Build, and we've been talking about a lot of things. We've spent a couple of weeks really looking at both the background and the present context around Nehemiah's call. What was going on? What was going on in his world? What was going on in the world around him? If you missed any of that, you can catch it on the podcast. But today, we're going to zero in and talk about the actual work that Nehemiah was called to do. How many know? We talk about getting God's favor. We talk about getting God's burden. But when God gives you a burden, it usually involves work. That's right. It usually involves work. We're going to look at specifically five elements of success that, that Nehemiah had in the work that he was doing and what made him successful, what made them successful. But before we do that, I want to spend just a few more minutes on this four-letter word called work. So I want you just to think with me for a second. When I say the word work, I want you just to become consciously aware of how that word makes you feel. Work. What are you feeling inside of you? You don't have to tell me, but I just want you to be aware of it. Sometimes, for some people, the word work creates excitement. For other people, it creates anxiety. For some people, they think opportunity. For other people, they think ball and chain. For some people, they think, let's go. And other people think, can I just win the lottery and never work again, right? By the way, if you win the lottery, keep working. You'll be better for it. Here's what I want you to know. Work is not a bad word. Despite the way our culture looks at it, it's not just designed to be a means to an end of a paycheck. I mean, in this culture right now, we tend to glamorize people who have a lifestyle that seems like they're on perpetual vacation. You know those people? It's like every time you look at their Instagram, they're in some amazing place. They got the newest, latest, greatest on their body or in their hand or in their background or whatever. And it's like, what do you people do besides just travel around to all the places I'll probably never get to go and you're just always on vacation? And then we, we tend to culturally kind of idolize, like, woo, man, I just want that. All I want to do is to get away from work and take the next vacation. And I understand that. I just had an amazing vacation. I'm so grateful that I got to have it. But my wife will tell you, and so did Andrew, because he's texting me and blowing me up about it halfway through Mexico, going, dude, you need to chill out. I'm like, I just want to get back to work. I just want to get back to work. And we do have to learn to rest, but we also have to learn, understand, and internalize the fact that work is something that is a divine mandate that we as human beings were given before there was even sin in the world. Before there was sin, there was work. Genesis 1.28. Uh, I don't have all these scriptures and we'll be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon. But Genesis uh, 1.28 and also again in 2.15, he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Subdue the earth. That sounds like work to me. Takes a lot of work to subdue the earth. That was part of the divine calling, the divine mandate. Some people think, oh, work just happened because of the fall. No, it didn't. It got a little harder, especially if you're a farmer, because now you got to work with thorns and thistles and all the things that, that, that changed. But work itself was part of God's design for us. It brings us purpose. Another thing I'll tell you, and you're going to feel this as a thread through our time together this morning, is that work was designed to be part of our worship. Like we think, oh, I'm going to go to worship in the church. I'm going to come sing some songs and that'll be worship. And it's true. Those things are worship. Worship's not less than the songs you sing, but it's so much more than that. And your work is worship, at least it's supposed to be, according to Colossians 3. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. As I was thinking about this, though, and I was thinking about work, and this morning I was just, I thought I was all done with my message prep last night when I went to bed way too late. But then I woke up again this morning, and I was like, man, there's something else. And I felt like the Lord put on my heart. There's some of you here today. I know some in the first service, but some of you here today 
who either are unemployed or like severely underemployed. Do you know what I mean by underemployed? Like you're not making what you need to make. You're not in the job that you'd like to be in or that you think you should be in. And I just felt a burden today while I'm telling you how important work is to actually pray for your work and to pray for you. I know there's many of you who are in that situation. So I know it might seem weird, a little out of character, but can we just pause for a second? And would you just join me in prayer for those people who need good work? God, we thank you that you have made us to work, Lord. We thank you that you have created us Lord, with hands and ideas and strength and all of this, Lord, to go and to create and to produce and to work. Right now, Lord, there are some of your people who are trying to work and can't find the work. There are some of your people who are busy working jobs knowing that's not the thing that you've made them to do. And they're knocking on doors and they're seeking and, and they're not finding what they need to find. There are people who are in the right jobs today, but there's something just around the corner. There's people in the wrong jobs. And then specifically, Lord, I feel like you let me to pray those who are in no job at all, though they would like to be, though they're working at that, they're not actually working for a paycheck yet. They're not working for their provision. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open doors this week for the unemployed and the severely underemployed. God, that is they do their work diligently, what they can do to knock on those doors, to get the resumes out, to work on the things they need to work on. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would lead them to the place that you have, Lord, as a mission, as an act of worship, as a way of advancing your kingdom and also providing for them. Lord, would you make a way, even where right now sitting here this morning, there seems to be no way. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said, amen, amen. I believe God's going to provide, but I have to tell you, another reason that as your pastor, I want you working... And yes, we're in a series and we're in a campaign and, and we're trying to raise some money. But let me tell you why I really want you working. Not so that you can give, but so that God can use you. As you read through scripture, one of the things you're going to find is that God most often taps people for something who are already working. Like he's not looking for the people who are sitting around feeling sorry for themselves. I got nothing to do. What am I doing? You know, young people, you know, some young people are like, man, I'm just waiting to see what God's going to do with my life. Here's what you should do with your life. Start working and keep praying. Because God likes to come upon people who are active, who are already doing things. He calls people from their work. I'll just give you a few examples. For example, Moses. Moses, he had gotten out of Egypt. He's got the job that nobody wants. He's taking care of his father-in-law's livestock. My father-in-law is in first service, and I told him, Butch, I love you. But if my whole existence was taking care of your goats, I'd be hating life, brother. I need more than just that. My wife would love it because we'd be around the goats every day. I would hate it have dirty shoes, and probably a bad attitude, right? Moses is out there, finds himself taking care of his father's livestock. But you know what he's doing? He was working diligently. And one day, while he's at work, a bush lights on fire, and God starts talking to him out of it. God found him when he was at work. Gideon, he's threshing the, the wheat, and then he's working in the wine press. And while he's at work, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, I've got more for you to do. I need you to go and be the leader I've called you to be. Thank you for working. Now we're gonna turn, we're gonna move all that energy into the direction I need you to go. How about David? When Samuel showed up to try to find the next king of Israel, God sent him out there. He's looking at Jesse's boys, all the ones that stopped working to come meet him. Nope, 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 nope. You've got one more somewhere, isn't there? Another boy somewhere? Oh yeah, he's the only one still working. He's out there tending to the, to the, to the sheep and the pasture. Let's go find him. You, David, the one who's still working out here. You're the one that God has called and anointed to be king. Elisha, he's out playing the field when Elijah comes and throws the cloak on him and says, you the man now. This is your job now. He was busy working when God called him to another work. And how can we get forget about Peter, Andrew, James, John? What were they doing when Jesus found them? 
They weren't sitting around. They weren't sulking. They weren't having a beer with the bros. They're out trying to catch some fish because they're working. They're trying to take care of their family. And Jesus came and said, I know you've been working to catch these fish, but I'm now here to make you a different kind of fisher. From now on, you're going to be fishers of men. Oh, how about the apostle Paul? He was Saul and he was working. This is mind blowing because his work was to persecute the people of Jesus. He's actively working to shut down Christianity. And God meets him on the road to Damascus while he's doing his job and says, we're gonna redirect that. I'm here now, I'm showing myself to you and all this effort and inertia that you've got going in this direction, I'm moving it in this direction. And here we go. And we have Paul who comes like a flaming comet that hits every person around him and lights them on fire for Jesus. He wasn't sitting around doing nothing when God called him. He was busy about his work. Jesus had a few things to say about work as well. For example, the harvest is plentiful, but the Workers, thank you. My wife read her Bible this morning. She was also in first service. The workers are few. The workers are few. James says about our faith, by the way, that our faith without works is dead. How many know? We don't work for our salvation, but we absolutely work from it. Work is an essential part of what it means to be human, and it's an essential part of what it means to be a man and woman of God. Nehemiah, by the way, as I've already shared with you in the last couple weeks, when the burden came to him, he was working. He was working. He was serving the king. He was a cupbearer. I don't know if that's the job he wanted. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. But God came and dropped a burden in his lap for a new kind of work. He just went from working here to working there. God loves to take working people and redirect their work. And sometimes the redirection is to a new job, and sometimes it's just to a new perspective about the job you've got. Amen? But God loves to work with working people. So as we look at some of the key ingredients to Nehemiah's new work, like how was he successful? What made his work a success? I want to dig in and look at five things that I think we can learn and glean from him about the work. Number one, what he was about wasn't just about him. It was about them, and it was a unified effort. It was a unified effort. There's another word that may have a visceral response for some of you. Effort, right? One of the things we clearly see early on is an immediate, unified response to go work. Let's take a look at Nehemiah 2, 18. It says this, Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, Yes, let's, that's let us all together, let's rebuild the wall. So they, not he, they began the good Work. How many know, even when God calls you to do something amazing, there's going to be work involved. But not only was there a sense of unity, there was a sense of enthusiasm. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 6. It says here, at last the wall was completed to its half. So they're halfway there, half of its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. What a great word. They worked with enthusiasm. I have a question for you, and I actually would like for you to show your hands. How many of you love to work with people who just gripe and complain and stew all the time? They're just always upset about something. Anybody signing up to work with that? No, of course you're not. Of course you're not. Unless you're like, never mind, I won't go there. Of course not. And do you know why? Do you know why? Because complaining is contagious. Cynicism, it's contagious. If you get around someone who's a constant complainer 
and a constant cynic, guess what you're going to take on? A little cynicism, a little everything's bad kind of attitude. But by the way, enthusiasm is also contagious. So here's the good news. You can, you can go get around people who are enthusiastic, who are filled with the joy of the Lord, and you will catch what they have. When I show up to church on Sunday, there's somebody I like to find pretty quick, except usually he finds me, and that's Morel sitting right here. You want to know why? Because Morel carries enthusiasm like some of y'all have never even sniffed at. I love you, but he's got something some of y'all don't have. My word of encouragement to you is take the brother out for coffee and say, man, how are you so full of joy? And then catch what he's got. Enthusiasm and joy is contagious, but so is cynicism and skepticism and complaining. That's also contagious. So watch who you hang out with, but also be aware inside of who you are and what you're giving away, what other people are catching from you. I have to be honest with you. I have to fight this a lot. By nature, I'm kind of a brooding person. I'm sorry. If you catch me when I'm brooding, I apologize. Every single day, I have to internally try to correct my own attitude because being broody and like, I don't know, just like, you know, people just growl instead of talk. Hey, man, what's going on? Like, I could be that if I just let myself go the direction my flesh wants to go. Instead, I have to remind myself that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I could come do kids' worship sometime for you if you want. I got the joy, 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 joy. Right? I got a river of life flowing out of me. I'm just going to catch all the denominations if I keep going. You know what? I sing these silly little songs. I hope we sing some of them. If we don't, let's get them back there. Because I still remember these from when I was a kid, and I even know anything about God. But these songs remind me. I need the joy of the Lord to actually be my strength. There's a reason Paul said to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you. You know what that means? I'm begging you. Come on, pay attention. Listen, go with me here. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.3 says this, make every effort, 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 I just made up a word. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace because where there's unity, God commands the blessing. How does this connect to enthusiasm? When you are a cynical, complaining person, by nature, you're a divisive person. We'll talk about that more next week. That's not what today's message is on. But Paul knows and God knows that if we can become people of joy who are enthusiastic about what we do, there's a natural unifying effect to that, and it will command God's blessing to come over you, over your marriage, over your home, over your family, over your people in your workplace, in your community, and oh yeah, even over our church. Now, the next key ingredient to Nehemiah's work being a success was number two, diligence and commitment. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, verse 21. He says, we worked, there's that word again. We worked early. Anybody early workers here? Some of our crew here, 6 a.m. Come on, somebody, you guys were here early. Worship team, setup team, early. We worked early and late. Got any night grinders here? Yeah, you just up late, just go, go, go. 2 a.m., you're still at it. We worked early and late. They worked from sunrise to sunset. That's not even all that early or late. I think that's a different day. Half and half of the men were always on guard. Notice that. I think that's crucial for us to catch because while they're doing the work, half the people that could have been working were having to fight off all the opposition. Again, that's next week's message. But it's important to know. They didn't just 
roll out of bed, everything's smooth. Oh, sir, here's the red car, car, carpet for you. Here's your coffee. Have a nice day at work. No, there's opposition. Half the men that could have been working were having to fight off the opposition so that the other half could continue to work early, late, sunrise, sunset, etc. There is something to be said for being diligent. So many people, I don't know why they do it, but so many people quit just because things get hard. Can I just give you, I'm not a life coach, but can I just give you a little life coach lesson for a second? Anything that is worth it will be hard, period. Anything worth it will be hard. The most important relationship in my life, my relationship with Jesus, it's worth it, but it's hard. Because every time I get close to him, he's like, yeah, this thing in you also needs to die. Yeah, that thing I told you about last time, why'd you stop doing that? Start doing that again. It's hard. It's encouraging. You can do it. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But you need to crucify that. My second most important relationship with the beautiful Ashley Brown sitting in the front row. Man, I love her. Woo, do I love her. But being married is hard. That's not unique to us. It's harder for her than it is for me. I'll tell you that much. But it is hard. Every married person knows that. Don't nudge your spouse, especially if you're fighting on the way to church this morning. But being married is hard. Why? Everything that's worth it is hard. If we could just understand this, I, I probably shared this before, so forgive me. I, I'm a Nick Saban fan. I'm glad he's at my team, but I like him as a leader. And one of the things that I learned from him, watching a leadership teaching that he did, was he said one of, the, one of the most impactful and important things that he can teach people that he's working with is for them to get used to things being hard. Everything you do that's worth it is hard. So if you just understand, like, I'm going to hit a hard time, and that's part of the process, then when you hit the hard time, you don't think, well, I thought this would be easy, and now it's not. This must not be what God called me to. I thought this person was never going to fight with me, and now they are. This must not be who I'm supposed to be married to. I, 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 thought I, would, I thought I would have smooth sailing, and nobody would even compete with me in the space that I'm in. And now everyone's stealing all my business. This is too hard. Maybe I should just go find another business. Everything that's worth it is hard. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Look at Proverbs 12:24. Says this, I love how it says, work hard and become a leader. Or, here's your other option, be lazy and become a slave. I know what I want to be, but it requires hard work. One of the things I ask myself a lot too, and when, when you're thinking about being a worker or being lazy, I think about a lot this idea of, am I a contributor or am I a consumer? Am I contributing more than I'm consuming? We all consume. We have to eat. We got we to do stuff. We go watch a movie somebody else made. We're all consumers. But a question that I ask myself almost daily, I'm just kind of letting you into my inner dialogue. I'm brooding. God has to deal with me. Uh, am I contributing more than I'm consuming? That's another thing that's all the time in the back of my mind. We should ask ourselves that. Like, am I contributing more than I'm consuming? I have a few hobbies. And because of those hobbies, I collect a few things. And then sometimes when I'm collecting stuff, I just go, man, am I just, am I just a consumer? Am I just a taker? What am I giving? What am I contributing? What am I producing? Come on, let's go do that some more. This is a key element to learning how to work as worship. So just ask yourself, man, am I contributing more than I am consuming? God has not called us to be consumers only. He's called us to be contributors. He's called us to produce stuff. He's called us to go and make things happen. He's called us to lift up other people's arms when they're weak. He's called us to work. He's called us to work. By the way, if you've been coming here for a while and you haven't started contributing yet, it's a great time to get started. Just go find somebody with a lanyard right after church and say, man, I want to start contributing here. We'd love to have you. But listen, whether we're talking about the work that you do to pay the bills, 
or maybe some volunteer work that you do in the community, or maybe the work you do inside your own home, or the work you do inside the church. It is so crucial that we see our work as worship. Let's look at Colossians 3.23. It says this, work willingly at whatever. Say whatever. It's not like whatever, at whatever. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. We're just going to do a little church calisthenics. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand again. How many of you are in a profession where in some kind of way you're either trying to sell something to somebody, you're trying to support somebody, your job involves other people? Let me just see your hand. Your job involves other people. Keep them up for a second. Keep them up. I want you to take a look around the room. Your job somehow involves other people. That's pretty much everybody. You can put your hand down. If our jobs revolve around people, what do you think the natural state of attrition of the heart is going to go to as we work? Is it going to go towards working for God or working for people? The people that we need to sell stuff to. The people that we need to support who are having problems. The people that we need to go help them fix their stuff that's broken. The people that we need to go teach them how to do things. It's so easy. By the way, pastoring, in a sense, it's all about people. But in another sense, it's actually all about God. And let me tell you one of the biggest challenges that I personally face. Is my job about you or is my job about him? Is both, but he's got to come first. The secret is, that's not just a pastor thing. That's a Christian thing. That's an everybody thing. That's what Paul's saying here in Colossians. And what I'll tell you is, once you decide that my work, every single thing I do, is worship unto the Lord, you'll find the greatest motivation that you could ever possibly need to stay diligent in what you're doing. Because you're doing it for him. And he ain't quit on you. So don't quit on him. And don't quit what you're doing until he calls you to something else. All right, number three, if you've done these things, this one comes a little easier, but it's overcoming obstacles. Again, let's look at Nehemiah 4.14. It says this, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Listen, another reason it's so important that we see our work as worship is because it will get our perspective back onto the Lord. Back onto the Lord. Look at it. Don't be afraid. The Lord who is great in glory. He's saying, look up, look up, look up. I know they're coming for you. I know they're coming over here. I know there's opposition on this side, on this side, in front and behind. But look to the Lord. This is another reason why it's so important that we see our work as worship. Because when we're doing it as worship, God can have our back. We're doing it on our own. We're on our own. It's a great story in Joshua about the people of Israel and the angel of the Lord comes. I might mention this last week. I know I did in a class I'm teaching, so forgive me if it crosses over. But the angel of the Lord comes and Joshua says, hey, boy, whose side are you on? Our side or their side? And he says, I'm on my side. You know why? God was the one who was doing the work. God was the one who was doing the battles. And he's saying, well, if you do my work, then I'm on your side. But if you go do your work, you're on your side. It's important that we know. Now, by the way, just because we do the Lord's work, and yes, we will get his support, that doesn't mean he's going to do everything for us. There's some things, by the way, I don't know if you know this, there's a few things the Lord probably can't deliver you from. You're like, what do you mean he can't deliver? There's some things he can't do right? Like, can he make a rock so big he can't lift it? Figure that one out. One of the two. Here's some things the Lord can't do. The Lord can't just deliver you from your bad character. That's your job. Now, he can help you. He's given you his word, teach you how to be. He's given you his spirit to prick your conscience when you're messing up, but you got to deal with your character. He can't fix your lack of discipline and my lack of dis discipline. That's something we have to do on our own. He can't fix our bad attitudes. 
We have to choose to participate. He can't just do away with your destructive habits. You've got to participate in that process, right? If you've got a commitment problem, he's probably not going to solve it. You've got to solve it, right? That's part of what we're called to do in crucifying the flesh. That's why Paul says, I've crucified the flesh. It's no longer me, Christ who lives in me. But who did the crucifying of the flesh? Paul did. So there's space for Jesus to be king. So we have to remember that. But, but when we take our business and we take our work seriously and we see it as worship unto the Lord, there are great promises that absolutely come in its wake. For example, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? So when temptation comes, when testing comes, when hard times come, when opposition comes, know that if you're already on God's side and you're seeing your work as worship, he is coming with you and through you and for you and on your behalf in all of these things. Let's remember what James says, James 1.12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterwards, not before, but afterwards they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Who's the promise for? Those who love him. What's our job? To go and grab a promise? No, it's to go and grab a person. His name is Jesus. And we have to love him and do everything we do for him first and foremost. And this kind of actually reflects the fourth ingredient to Nehemiah's work. That's this, number four, dependence on God. Nehemiah 4.9, he says this, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. I love how Proverbs 3 kind of frames up this concept of dependence on God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with part of your heart. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord with the things you're stressed out about. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all. I didn't hear you. What does it trust the Lord with? All your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Part of the reason that we end up down the wrong path is because we take the path that we are the ones it depends on. We depend on ourselves, what we think about, and we're not dependent on God. So we take our path instead of his path. You know what happens when you take the wrong path? You ever been on a hike taking the wrong path? We did that before. Sometimes you got to finish it and get back around to the right one. Sometimes it takes a while. It's easier if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We depend not on our own minds, but on his guidance to know which path to take. And all of this is talking. Seek his will. How do you do that? You read your Bible and you pray a lot. That's how. You don't seek his will on Netflix, on Instagram. You seek his will through reading his word. Through praying to him. Ian Bounds says this, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. I don't know if it's 100% true. I think it's at least 95% true. You know why? Because God wants to work through people who talk to him and who listen when he talks back. By the way, it's crucial for prayer that you don't just talk, but you be quiet and you listen. Tell what do you have to say to me. That's how God gets stuff done, by talking back to you, telling you what to do, and then you go do it. Here's the point. We have to increase our dependency on God if we want to see our work for him be successful. There's a, there's a powerful thing that happens once we sell out to God. 
I don't have time to go into all of Philippians chapter 4, but let me just kind of sum it up for you for a second. Philippians 4, the apostle Paul, he's trying to encourage people who are following Jesus to keep following. Don't give up, he's saying. And he tells them, he said, because listen, Paul knows that worry, anybody deal with worry? I do sometimes. But you know what worry is? Worry is the greatest thief of your joy and your faith that you will ever meet. Worry will absolutely steal you of joy and it will rob you of faith. And Paul knows this. So he tells them in Philippians 4, hey, don't worry about anything. Oh, by the way, in all things rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, anybody remember that one? All right, I caught like three of y'all of that song. It's okay. I'm losing, losing as we go. Paul tells them, don't worry about anything. Rejoice in everything and keep on going and be faithful no matter what. And then he starts talking about himself. Paul says, hey man, I've had good times, I've had bad times. I've had seasons of richness and I've had seasons of leanness. I've had times when I could eat whatever I want and I've had times I couldn't even find anything in in the pantry to eat, in the fridge to eat. There's nothing to eat anywhere. But then he goes on to say, in all of it, I've learned to be content in the Lord. I've learned to be more dependent on him than anything else. And it's in that context that he writes this famous scripture that for some reason boxers like to put like on their, on their shorts, even though it has nothing to do with winning in the ring. It has to do with following Jesus in hard times. He says, Philippians 4, 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Church, I came here today to tell you, so can you. So can you. You can do it if you put God first. You can do it if you're dependent on him. You can do it if you don't quit. That's what Nehemiah knew. I gotta go, I gotta go. As long as we don't quit. Some people may have to fight and some people may have to build, but we're gonna go and we're gonna follow the Lord in it. The last ingredient that was key to his success was this. And it wasn't just from him, it was from everybody. And it was sacrificial giving. It started with King Cyrus. He said, hey, I'm gonna give back everything that other guy Nebuchadnezzar stole from you. It's mine now but I'm gonna give it back to you. All the gold, all the silver. He's now helping to fund this thing. King Artaxerxes, he, he tells Nehemiah, yeah, man, you can have whatever you need from my forest to go and to rebuild your walls. I'll give you all the trees I got. You can just come take what you need. Float them down the river, baby. They're yours. He gives. There are so many of you who give of your time, of your talent. Nehemiah chapter two and three, I can't even bring you a verse because it's like the whole of both of those chapters. It just details all the people that were giving their time to serve, to rebuild the wall. And many of you are like those people. And I'm so grateful and thankful for you. In fact, all of us are, whether we do a good job of telling you or not, we're so happy to be able to walk into a school that feels like a church on a Sunday. Am I the only one? But it doesn't happen that way by itself. There's a great team of people who make that happen. And we're thankful for you. Chapter five, Nehemiah deals with the economic aspects of the work. He goes after the, the nobles and after the leaders and the rulers. And he says, hey, you gotta stop taking advantage of people. Stop charging such high interest. You gotta give stuff back to the people. You've gotta participate in the work. You're stripping all the people of their resources. Cut it out. And then in chapter 10, he says this in verse 39. The people and the Levites, now it's everybody, all of you now, have to bring some offerings of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Here's the point. From the top to the bottom, the work was successful because there was sacrificial giving from everyone. From everyone. We here in Liberty Hill, We're building a church to try to reach people. Listen, we want to build Jesus' church, we want to build spiritual family, and we want to make it hard to go to hell in Liberty Hill. Anybody with me? We want people to have God's best for them. You can clap for that. But we have to keep taking ground. 
We have to keep working. If you are new here since last year, around this time, you might not even know, because I don't talk about this all the time, but we are one year into a three-year campaign called There Is More. We're trying to raise the funds to do a few things across all three of our locations, but in Liberty Hill specifically to secure our future. I'm gonna tell you a couple things about that in just a moment, but first, let's take a look at the screens. I wanna show you a great video, and I'll be right back to close. Should I just smolder at the camera? <laughs> yeah, what is that? Um... Looking back, we had been on the search for a church home for the first 11 years of our marriage. We moved to Austin 12 years ago, and it seemed as if we visited every church in a 20-mile radius. We attempted to get plugged in, but we never found our fit, our people, our place to plant. We had looked at each other, and we said there's one thing in common with each of these churches, and it was us. So 2020 rolls around, we move out to Liberty Hill, and we started attending a church nearby, and we committed to that house. It wasn't everything that we dreamed of, but the kids' program was open, and we were done hopping. We decided to stop wandering, stop criticizing, and to plant our feet. We knew God calls us to be planted, and we wanted the blessings that come with planting, such as community, friendship, true worship, opportunities to serve, and a chance to see the Bible. So a few months into attending that church, a neighborhood friend told me that a friend of hers had just launched a church in Liberty Hill, and she thought of us right away. I Googled it, and I told Andrew that we were going to go on Sunday. Funny thing is he had just committed to leading the other church's men's ministry. That was interesting in itself. We walked in that next Sunday, and we realized God's goodness. This is our church. This is where we would plant and commit <laughs> to grow and love to serve and be loved. Looking back, there wasn't anything wrong with the other churches. God was saving us for the place we were meant to be. He was saving us and our commitment for vintage. I called the lead pastor at that previous church and honorably exited. We dove in headfirst at Vintage, started by volunteering on Sunday mornings with Caitlin and kids and me and set up and tear down. And from there, we started a small group and continued to stay alert for voids to fill. Now Andrew leads mobile team and I lead our kids program. God took our heart and heard our cry to be planted in community. He helped them type until Vintage was ready. We're so thankful. Cheers to the future of our house. <laughs> almost got me for the third time. I saw that video. I'm glad I saw it the first time when I was by myself because no one needs to see me like I was. Andrew, Kate, and Caitlin, we love y'all so much. And we're so grateful that God sent you here. And the truth is I could go around this room and start talking to and about so many of you. And we'd be here at dinner time and then you'd all be hungry because I talked right through lunch. But I could spend hours talking about how much I love the people that God has sent to our church. But I know their story is just one of many stories that God still has to write. And what's, what blows me away is that planting this church was not my wife and my, and my great idea. We didn't just think, man, this would be cool. We should go do this. It wasn't even on our radar. God said, go do this. So we said, yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. And before this existed, God had people in mind. 
And by the way, we're just getting started. We're 20 months old. And there's a lot of people who are working hard, and we have already reached a lot of people in the last 20 months. But I know there are hundreds, probably thousands more that God has in store for us to reach in the years to come. And right now we're here at this place and I, I know that our reach in a mobile church is limited. For one thing, we've got great leaders like Andrew. He's amazing and Mark and others. I can't, I can't go down the name or I'll miss people. There's so many of you that put out so much energy and effort just to move big heavy things in and out of this building every week. And I just think sometimes, man, what's it gonna be like when they can turn those efforts and energies more towards people than just moving big things? So I'm looking forward to a place that we can call our own so that they can turn their attention towards people. Not to make it easier. There's still gonna be work in there. Lots of work, but it'll be different work. I also know that being in a middle school to have church, it's kind of like missionary-ish. Like all of y'all who are still coming, you're like, yeah, kind of missionary people. It's a little different showing up in a middle school for church. I know there's people, God bless them when they come, we'll just smile, we'll love them anyway. There's people who won't be with us until we're out of a mobile environment. There's people who God has for us that can't handle what you guys are doing right now. They're gonna come later and that's all good. And then God will build their lives from there and they'll look back and we'll be talking about the good old days because these are the good old days and they'll go, man, we wish we were there in the good old days. So look around the room because you guys are all founders and all part of the good old days. But God is building something and where we are now is not where we're gonna always be. He has something for us. A seven day a week facility where we can do more ministry and be more available to the community. See God move more than he can when we're just here on a Sunday morning right now. I'm almost done. I just wanna give you a quick update. So for those of you who were with us when we started a three year campaign last year, you can put the slide up. This is kind of where we're at. And this is for all three of our locations. We're trying to do stuff everywhere. Our, our founding location, they're 10 years old. They're doing four services, busting at the seams, got a school meeting in there. There's like not enough space. So we're trying to get them some space. And they have broken ground because they already have the ground. Our, our church in Belton, they inherited a building at a very reduced cost. It was a miracle, but it was kind of dilapidated and they need some, some space that they don't have. So they're, they're not working on it yet, but they're gonna soon be working on it. And then here in Liberty Hill, we have to secure our future. And let me just say quickly, I know the church is not a building. The church is the people. But the church and the people are a family. How many know every family needs a home? Anybody in here wanna sign up to be homeless? I don't think so. We don't want that for our church family either. So we're trying to get into a home. And we are so close. On Sunday night, if you were here at the worship night, I stood up and I shared with you that we had hit some challenges, some snags in our plans. Um, and we've been looking over the last year and a half through all kinds of options. We have adjudicated probably 20 different things that have popped up on the radar. And some of them were not yet. Some of them weren't good fits. Some of them were like, yes, that's great. And the next day, sorry, it's already gone. Uh, you know how that goes in real estate. You think you've got something and someone was five minutes in front of you. That's happened so many times. And it seems like God just kept bringing us back, bringing us back to the same facility. But even as we've negotiated on this facility uh, that we want to go to, it's, it's been bumpy a little bit. Sunday night, I stood up and I, I just vulnerably asked the people at the worship night to pray because there were some obstacles that frankly on Monday morning when our leadership talked, we thought this deal is almost dead. Like we got about a 10% chance of making this work. By Friday, the numbers had flipped. Things had changed. The developer was changing his tune on a number of things. And, and by Friday we said, I think there's a 90% chance this thing's going to work. 
it's looking like God is moving and God is shifting and God is changing. And to be honest with you, I don't like to give y'all partial information. I've been dragging my feet trying to come and say, we got a signed contract and here's what we're gonna do. But you know what? It's not my church, it's our church. So I need you to continue to pray because we feel like we are very close, but it's not quite there yet. So please continue to pray. And I'm gonna talk specifically about us and financially, what it's gonna take to get into that building in the next couple of weeks. But would you pray with me that by the time we have that conversation, we'll have an actual contract? Let me just see your hand. If you're willing just to pray, Pray with us. God, open the door. Let me just see your hand. Thank you so much. Let me just pray for all of us together, and I'm going to get you out of here. Lord, we thank you, God, that this is the day that you have made. Lord, we rejoice and we're glad in it, and we're so thankful for what you've been doing and what you're going to do in and through each and every one of us. Lord, I pray, God, that as we seek you, God, that you would show us what you have for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, we're almost done. Please put the last screen up. These are the three things coming. I just asked you to do the first thing. This week, I just need you to pray. For those of you who didn't get on board last year with the campaign, or maybe you weren't here in a few weeks, we're going to ask you to pledge because we need to know what we can count on to get in there. And then for some of you, because of the way your business works, there may be an opportunity for end of year giving. Maybe you get a windfall at the end of the year. Maybe that's when you get paid because you own your business. Maybe that's when the bonuses come. Maybe you just need to adjust your tax situation. That option will be there for you as well in a few weeks. But right now, it's just number one. I just want you to pray with us. Pray for the doors to open and pray how God might have you participate. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Raya, would you come and close us out?